It's time for the chip race. Hello and welcome to the chip race, Ireland's weekly poker podcast. I'm your host David Lappin alongside Darrow Carney. And tonight we've bumped Neil Channing again, this time for Ireland's poker queen Rebecca McAdam. Fergal Nealon sits down with Barney and Bridie Gribben. And we'll be previewing the UK IPT Nottingham with our good friend Davy Boy Curtis. But first, we're normally in the news reporting game here at the Chip Race. But this week, Darrow Kearney grabbed the headlines with his blog The Last Supper, which has provoked serious discussion in the Irish poker community on the state of the Irish Open, calling into question some of the choices made by Paddy Power Poker. Dara, first and foremost, I think it's fair to say that while this blog is critical of this year's event, you do spend about half of it being complimentary, making clear your belief that historically Paddy Power has been a good caretaker of the Open. Yeah, I think Paddy Power has been brilliant for the Open. I mean, basically, for as long as I've been playing poker, I started, because of, because of my age, people think I started, you know, back in 1980 or something, but I actually started playing in 2007. So it's always been the Paddy Power Open in the time that I've been there. They actually took on the Irish Open at a time when it was struggling um, and there was questions about the future of the event and they basically turned it into Europe's biggest event the first Irish Open that I played in 2008 had 667 runners four and a half thousand buy-in and three million prize pool which made it the biggest tournament uh, in Europe that year um, now obviously that w- those were different times that was the Celtic Tiger uh, in its death throes and, and there was a lot more money around but even through the economic collapse that the country has seen uh, Paddy somehow managed to keep the event going and keep the numbers up uh, very, very well. They basically kept the tournament going through austerity. There were still five, six, seven hundred people showing up for the Irish Open every year. Um, it was still a major event. Last year, they had a real problem, in my in, in my view. I, a lot of people were predicting that last year was going to be a disaster because it was following hot on the heels of UKIP Dublin, which was a major success. And people felt that that took so much money out of the Irish economy, Irish book economy, that the Irish Open would really struggle. They were also directly clashing with EPT San Remo, which basically meant that a lot of the top foreign players weren't coming. Um, and yet they somehow managed to pull over 400 people in. It was a great event. Um, and I think a lot of credit goes to the Paddy Power team. Uh, they, they they brought Stephen McLean in to beef up their team. Clodagh Hansen did a great job for Paddy Power, as she did every year. Um, and it was a huge success. This year, I think people expected to be bigger and better, and it wasn't. So Yeah, they, they went for a, a bigger buy-in. Obviously, they dropped the buy-in down to 22.50 last year. That helped make it a, a more uh, attainable goal for maybe people in the satellite qualifiers. This year, back up at a 3,500 buy-in. Uh, and you made the point, uh, a point also made by myself on commentary, that they discouraged satellite grinders from playing satellites by not allowing, allowing them to have tourney dollars for their repeat wins. Uh, in my opinion, this was... You know, the proof was sort of in the pudding here as the satellites did suffer from a lack of liquidity. Yeah, the online s- satellites struggled this year and, and didn't produce the number of qualifiers that they expected. And I think it was largely down to that decision. I understand the decision. Um, you know, people like ourselves winning lots of seats, uh, it's a, it's very unpopular with um, players who feel that the it, it stacks the deck against them. So I understand why the decision was made. But I think if you look at, for example, PokerStars, PokerStars have always uh, tolerated us and in some cases even encouraged us with leaderboards and so on because we are the people who make sure that the satellites run and they didn't get that this year a lot of the satellites didn't run off the ones that did run uh, went off at overlays and that meant that basically Paddy was spending money just uh, having overlays on satellites that they could have been using to promote the event and that affected the event overall um, to be honest and he, I think an even bigger problem though was the live satellites uh, the first year that I played the Irish Open um, I think there was probably 500 Irish players and it was a four and a half K buy-in, so I'm guessing at least 450 of those satellited in. 
Yeah. Um, and and I think there were so few online satellite qualifiers that year that we all fit into one room, I remember. So um, I think there was probably 400 live satellite qualifiers this year. That didn't happen this year. Yeah, and you called it the least Irish Irish Open ever. So I, I guess that sort of sums that up in a way. I know from speaking with people from the Paddy Power team that they were a bit disappointed to hear all the negative feedback, believing that they'd done a, a good job with, I guess, what was a, a, a lot smaller crew than they had in previous years. Uh, but I think it is fair to say that there were some highlights worth noting. Uh, yeah, certainly there were some highlights. Um, the uh, the event itself was very well run. The room the room looked very good. Uh, but you know we 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 expect that anyway. Uh, we, we we don't really do tournaments badly in Ireland in general. We have very good staff work in these events, uh, and the live stream was great. Um, it was noticeable to me that people who hadn't been at the event had a much more favourable impression of how the event was. And that's because their only experience of it was through the live stream. And it, and it did look very good on the live stream. Um, I was actually in the Fitz last week and I was talking to Denise, who who runs the place. Uh, she's the card room manager. And she made a really interesting point. She said they had the um, they had the live stream running in, on, on the TV sets in there and the atmosphere was electric and everybody was really excited. And so much so that she actually went down to the Irish Open thinking, oh, it must be amazing this year. And then she got there and it was like walking into a funeral, no atmosphere. It just felt a little bit flat, yeah. What would you like to see happen with the event? Uh, there's a lot of talk about reducing the buy-in next year to a 1K, trying to get a 1,000 plus runners. You know, people have different ideas of, of what the best thing to do to, I don't know, save the event maybe as a, as a, as a thing of prestige. Yeah, I think, first of all, Paddy need to acknowledge what the mistakes were this year. You mentioned that they're, they've been disappointed by the reaction to be honest, I would prefer them to be disappointed by why they're getting that reaction and what the underlying causes are rather than the fact that people are are talking about them. I think the poker industry in general suffers from the fact that we don't really have an impartial media. Uh, and we're seeing this in other stories this week where, you know, the biggest story probably people are talking about are the server problems that, that stars are having. And yet you don't see that on poker news or any of the poker sites because they need to maintain good relations with stars. We have a trade press but we don't have a proper, uh, you know, impartial press. So I think blogs, uh, forums and podcasts like ourselves are the only place you can really shine a spotlight on that. And I would like to see Paddy acknowledge, yeah, we were going around last week saying there'd be 450, 500 people. We only got 300. So that is a disappointment. And we acknowledge what the reasons were. I think the biggest reason was the live satellites. A couple of live satellite organizers contacted me after I wrote my blog and said, look, I ran live satellites every other year. And the way that they always operated is Paddy would come and say, if you run a satellite first, we'll guarantee one or two tickets. If there's an overlay, uh, we'll, we, we'll pay the difference. And that's how you got people into the event, basically. This year, apparently, Paddy were not doing that. So these uh, live satellite organizers said that they didn't run uh, any live satellites and and that's that basically is where the disconnect happened the Irish public then didn't weren't trying to qualify true live satellites there was no buzz from people who had already pre-qualified and basically we ended up with an Irish Open where the Irish just didn't show up yeah, look, Paddy Power, obviously a, a big company. They're expanding into Australia. They're obviously huge in the UK these days. They run it like a business and, you know, they're making business decisions here. But from a poker player's point of view, you'd hate to see this tournament vanish off the map. Yeah, and, and to go back to your question about where do we go from here, I think uh, it's kind of an open secret now that it won't be the Paddy Power Irish Open next year and and, and hopefully some major online organiser uh, or maybe a, a few of them will come in. It used to be the case that uh, different... Um, sites were all trying to qualify people for the Irish Open 
But I think even more important than that is how do we re-engage with the live players? And we have people in this country who are very, very good at running big live events. We have, you know, Dave Curtis, Finton, Gavin, Rebecca McAdam was involved in the big uh, UKIPT tournament over in Galway. Uh, Claude Hansen did a great job in the Irish Open for years. Stephen McLean has his own events and also did a great job in the Irish Open. So, you know, there is lots of talent out there. Uh, It's just how do we get people back? Maybe it's to reduce the buy-in. Maybe it's to uh, get the live satellites running again. Okay, well, really good points there. Thank you very much, Sarah Kearney. Next up, we have an absolutely choice interview uh, by Fergal Nealon with Barney and Bridie Gribben. I'm here at the Irish Open with two people that are well-known on the poker scene. It's um, Barney and Bridie Gribben from Matterfeld, County Derry. So, so, how did you first get into the game and get involved on the scene? Well, Barney was working on the scene for a while and to go and support him I played a game and end up winning it which was a satellite into the Irish Open and on reflection I was completely inexperienced but I was so inexperienced that I loved it because I, you know, I had no preconceived ideas of what I was going to do or anything else and we just come down to the Irish Open had a blast of a weekend and decided right every year we're coming whether we're playing or not we're coming just that's our holiday and, you know? and tell us what, what year was that? 2006 2006. Who won it that year? Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And that's, like, as you say, that's kind of, your, seems to be your attitude around the game. You're not too caught up in the ins and outs of of, of the, the more competitive side of things, but you do get stuck in and you had a nice result there. Congratulations, Barney, la- or Friday last night. Thank you. Terrible. Um, you're, you're here to enjoy yourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and that seems to come across. And even that that game, my very last hand was against Porg Parkinson, who I didn't know. I hadn't, hadn't met him ever before. And before the dealer put up the cards, I said, one we sec, we'll make a deal here. If I win this hand, I'll buy you a pint. If you win it, you buy me a pint. He went right to your home. He won it, I got a pint. And that was the start of that friendship as well. So Brilliant. You know, he's been very good to us. So. Uh, Porg was then doing... Uh charity for the homeless and I was running the club in the north and he had his event was 110 to play and we did a lot of satellites nearly every game we were given a ticket to this charity event and I knew a lot of the players weren't going to go but I wasn't giving them the money I was going to come down on the day and pay them in while they were there this is the brother Kevin homeless charity yeah, yeah. that one and so I landed down with uh, the entry fee for 15 players and I think only one player arrived but I give Parag the envelope with all the money. But that's for those players, if they don't come, it's their hard luck when you're taking it. And he just thought that was amazing that somebody would do that, you know. So he took us under his wing at that time, and he actually then came to the club in the north himself, and Eamon and Scott Gray and so, Willow landed So just the going club. back there, you, you had a card club in the north? Yeah, in Bangor, there was a card club, the Fortune Rooms, and there was one in Cookstown. Mm. And you would have met Desi, Desi Graham a few times yeah, at the yeah. weekend. Desi would have run one of the clubs and I ran the other club. Right. And they were going very well until the law changed. Right. Put an end to us, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So, so, so how did you how did you get into that? As you know, you're well known, brother and sister, travel these events. Did you have a card playing? Was it in the family? Was it was it something you played over the over the dinner well, table? Mum would have taught us all how to play cards from when we were kids. But uh, we weren't really playing poker, we were playing the best hand wins, you know, until uh, late night poker came on. And then we all realised we were not playing poker at all. This is how the game is supposed to be played. Uh, now, we still wouldn't be good players, but we have learnt a lot over the years and really enjoy the game. Um, 
I have a game in my house then, at the back of late night poker then, I have a game in my house on a Thursday night and that's been going every Thursday night since late night poker was on, so that's 10 years ago, is it? More? Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now can you tell us a little bit on the, the situation up the north of the country that you can't run legal game, games, it's a very kind of grey area, so is it, is it, how do you get around that? How, well, any wee game that's going, it's just uh, the local police would know a lot of them are going on, but they don't do anything because it's not causing any problems. They just turn a blind eye to it. Legally, you have to have a bingo license and then you can do the card games with it. But the maximum entry fee you can have in a game is £4. And that four lot, pound. £4. No rebuys, no add ons, £4. That was maybe in 1962 or something. That law was passed and it has never changed. So they'll say in the north, you know, the politicians will say, oh no, we do allow poker in the north. but that's the regulations on it, so it doesn't happen. You can't have it. So, are you saying that if games are well run and there's no trouble, that they might turn a blind eye in certain yeah. situations? Yeah, they wouldn't do. As long as the paramilitary aren't involved, they'll be right. happy enough, and they'll know if paramilitary is involved, they'll they'll stop it. Yeah. But if it's yeah. not paramilitary, it's people coming out. And it's one of the very few things in the north where both sides of the community can sit down together and play. You know, very much so. Like the GEA is predominantly Catholic, the soccer is predominantly Protestant, but the poker scene is an absolute mix, you know. And it's amazing, I've, I've played some games up that way and I've, I've come across that in maybe games in Bundoran, near the border, and all those differences seem to be left aside at the poker table. Seems to be, yeah. yeah. Uh, there was a, a game over in Kilray direction and there was boys at the table that had done time for being in the IRA and boys that had done time for being in the UVF and they're all sitting around the same table playing, you know, that so you just wouldn't get it in anything else, you know. <laughs> so, so you, you mentioned Porrick Parkinson, is there, is there any other names that have been influences to you in, in, in poker terms? Um, not for not for making your game any better, you know, people would have, have their idols that they, they would watch them and see their style of play and pick up notes from that and I just play my own game, but as for meeting people, you know, you just, the Donica the day is just, I love the man. He is a gentleman, he's very well named, you know, the, the godfather of poker. He's always very pleasant and has a lot of time for us Anytime you speak to him. Yourself as well. A lot of people like you around the circuit, you know. We're not big players, but you all have time to speak to us. And that's what we love about the poker community. You don't have to be one of the big earners for people to have time and have a chat with you. And we love that about that's it, you know. That's been a big thing for me as well. I feel like the camaraderie around it, it's more to me than the actual game. You know, that's what I get out of these weekends, is the, the support you get like from everybody and just the crack and the teeth saying it could be the guy that has his, his photograph in the front of the magazine that you're sitting beside. You know, you don't get that in any other sport, that you're able to be in the same table with these people, you know, and that's what, that, that's what blew me away, is that at the table they're just people. Well, you know, that's it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, and the poker, I think the poker table is the most democratic one of the most democratic places in the world. Mm. Yeah. No matter who you are, what influence you have on the outside, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I love the old boys with the young boys and the older women taking hand out of young boys with headphones on them and stuff like that. I love all that, you know, that, that you're getting all these different characters. Well, I love that the thing about the game too, that you're sitting at the table, especially a cash table, you're sitting there and my aim is to take as much money as I can off as many people in the table as I can, you know? But I'll get up and go to the bar for an hour and leave my chips on the table and I know that nobody will steal one of them chips. You know what I mean? Yet when I sit down at the table, everybody wants to get them off me. There's honour among these type of thing. 
Exactly. Did you see the, the 17,000, was it, that was in the raffle at the Norwegian Open? I've seen that. A bin liner full of money, and the boy sat it on the table, and he, he walked away to the bar and just sat it there, and he knows that nobody's going to steal anything out of that, yet you're in the room full of gamblers and nobody's <laughs> going to steal that. It's weird, it really is. So I've I seen you met Nolan Dalla. Yes, that one. That is just so weird he, how he took us under his wing as well. We That's chatted to him for 10 minutes in the bar, and the next day he mentioned us on his blog. Yeah, it's unbelievable. We're just a pair of luck boxes, Fergal, that's all it is. I think yeah. so, yeah, and I presume down through the years you've met the, the Phil Helmets and uh, the Grannies who've come over here. We have, we've got speaking to all of them, I suppose, and it's three people like yourself and Porrick and Paul O'Reilly, boys who do know these guys, and then they would introduce us and it just it flows then, you know. Tell us about when was the year, Barney, you got yourself in on, on the biggest free roll of the Irish <laughs> The biggest waste of a ticket ever, <laughs> isn't that it? <laughs> Your words not mine now, but, but tell us how that came about. I was sitting in the cash game and a friend of mine, Sean Lennon from Cookstown, phoned me to say that he was watching the live stream, Paddy Powers live stream, and the first person that can find, Clodagh Hansen, she works for Paddy Powers, will get free entry into the Irish Open. So I came down past, Paul O'Reilly was standing, and I says, Paul, where's the Paddy Powers team? He says, I'm too fucking busy to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where they're at. So I made my way down to the bottom, and there was a lot of the staff there, and I said, is Clodagh Hansen here? She said, yes, that's me. I said, I'm Barney Gribbon, and I'd like free entry into the Irish Open. And she said, you've got it. And that was it, as quick as that. Took me away, got the promotional gear on, got me registered, a few photographs, and I was back and sitting in the tournament. Uh, phone Sean to say thanks a million, I'm sitting in the Irish Open here. He says, I know, I'm watching the whole thing in the live stream. Somebody says, Sean said then, the Barney's in the in the Irish Open now, he's got a seat. And somebody texts him back and says, no, he's not. I saw him five minutes ago sitting at a cash table. <laughs> so they're in the room and they didn't even realise that I had won the event in. Now tell us, uh, Brady, you bring great style. I know my own wife, Sinead, is, is a real admirer of the style. And, 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 and tell us about the, you really make good effort with the fashion over the weekend. Some of us have to, don't we? <laughs> um, I, this is just the way I dressed most of the time. I have a very dull job, so I have to dress grown up from nine to five, so then after that, I just kind of just get dressed up for the occasion, you know? Yeah, and, and what are your influences? Is it, is it a... <laughs> Vivian Westwood would be a big one, even though I can't afford any of her stuff, but I, I love her style, and she wants Paloma Face to be a pretty good one as well, but... I don't really copy anybody, I just kind of put it together and if it works, it works. And I haven't been told yet that it hasn't worked. So. Well, exactly, yeah. Well, accord, look, I don't know too many things fashion, but according to my better half, you, you look the business every Thank you. time. That's every very time kind. she sees you. Well, listen, Barney and Bridie Gribbon, thanks a million for that fantastic chat. Mm -hmm. And I know you're, you're regulars on the poker scene and you really do brighten up every poker tournament. Thank you very oh, much. That's lovely. Thanks and everyone enough. gets a wee buzz when they see Bridie and Barney and always a pleasure. Thanks very Thank much. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks very much. It's time for the news with Dara Davey. Thanks Dave. The poker world returned to the online felt this week and was greeted by some nasty news with pokesters suffering widespread disconnection issues, allegedly from massive DDoS attacks on their servers. Despite this, most tournaments ran as usual, resulting in several huge winners. Daniel Tighe continued his recent good form after his deep run in the Irish Open, finishing third in the Sunday 500 for $38,700. Friend of the show, Porrick O'Neill, finished second in the Sunday second chance for $34,300 for his largest ever online score. And finally, Andrew Sweeney continued his great 2015 by taking third place in the full tilt Sunday major for $20,800. 
Short but sweet this week, Dara. Um, you know, obviously, first thing we have to talk about are these DDS attacks. Uh, it does seem a little bit suspicious. There was a there was a post on one of the forums saying that they, they that it's like centralized around the Isle of Man. It, it seems to be maybe yeah, motivated. It, it is only allegedly, and no one seems to know what's really happening because Pokestars haven't been open about it. But someone posted a map of the Isle of Man servers showing specifically Pokestars one on two plus two, and it showed that effectively, like hackers or spammers are just piling information into the Pokestars servers resulting in them having to shut down like half the site at random moments. So yeah, I know on Friday afternoon it caused a widespread crash and there was further problems I think on Saturday and Sunday. So, yeah, so particularly Sunday obviously was just the highest traffic of the week. It was a serious issue and Pokestars.fr half the site was shut down at one point but they managed to get through it. I think the sort of problems might be sorted now. We will see. Yeah, well hopefully from the player's point of view, you know, all those sites have refund policies that are somewhat fair. You know, you can argue the fairness <laughs> the of them in depends, certain formats. Yeah. But uh, uh, you know, they'll obviously try and make the players whole as best they can. Uh, amazing result for our friend Smidge, Porrick O'Neill, uh, known to everyone as this like nitty guy for years who, you know, never put a, 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 a euro into the pop bad. You know, he's he plays pretty loose these days. I, I don't know if he deserves that moniker anymore. Uh, Porrick is definitely one of the most underrated guys and he just has this amazing reputation of being this nit when he's not at all. He actually is a really, really good player and the Sunday second chance is a really tough tournament. The fact he can finish second in that and get through that field so comfortably. Yeah, much tougher than the Sunday Million. A lot of the, the recreational guys aren't playing that one, so it, it's actually a much denser field. And obviously, Porik has this long resume that includes a UKIP final table, and he's the EMOP champion, the last ever EMOP. He is mm. the, 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 the last ever master of poker in Europe. Yeah, that'll be on his gravestone. What about the other two results there? You know, Obviously, Andrew Sweeney, fantastic player, and you know Daniel Tai as well. Those guys delighted to get big scores. Yeah, those guys both play high stakes. They tend to rock in for the big Sunday tournaments a lot on consistently having results they both have had great 2015s I think Daniel made a final table of Sunday 500 a few weeks ago if I remember correctly as well so serious consistency and stringing results together so it's a good way to make money if you keep banking 20k results every Sunday exactly well congratulations to those two and I imagine next week's news is going to be full of UKIPT stuff Uh, absolutely I'd say it'll be entirely UKIPT focused we hopefully some Irish guys can have a result great stuff thanks a million Dara thank you Chip Race would love to hear from you Get in touch via Twitter at The Chip Race and find us on Facebook. We're joined now by David Curtis of the UKIPT. Uh, David, you have a, a big event coming up in Nottingham in the dusk till dawn next week. Uh, what numbers are you expecting for the main event? And, and I guess second question is, how do you and Rob Young always manage to pull off these huge fields? Yeah, well, yes, yeah, we're all set up and ready to go. Uh, the main event starts, well, actually it started on Sunday with a day one which is designed to uh, facilitate players that have to work Monday to Friday. So um, that was a new thing. So we got like uh, 50 entries for that, but uh, hopefully that will grow. But um, yeah, we're we're all set up. It's a million guaranteed. We expect, um, obviously, to smash that. Um, it's uh, indications are good, a lot of interest. Um, locally, satellites are going well. So yeah, that, that's very well for us. In terms of how myself and Rob Young, well, to be fair, uh, I've recently taken over the tour, but uh, we have been Kirsty and uh, Rob, and uh, I think everybody in the UK and Ireland, uh, Ireland scene knows uh, Rob and his his uh, fearlessness. And uh, you know, when you've got someone like Rob in your corner doing things, the things that he does, I mean, um, it's it's quite achievable. Yeah, Rob certainly seems to get all the big events out. And the UK IPT is always very good too. There's, you always have like a full schedule of events. What kind of side events do we have this time? Yeah, it's it's a slightly reduced uh, schedule. Um, 
normally we would have up to you know twelve events in total. For this one, we have nine. Uh, but the focus is, and uh, you know, we've taken direct our own our own direction, obviously, but in conjunction with uh, Rob, the um, the type of uh, schedule or the type of events that his players locally, along with our, our players, want. So at the early part of the uh, event, say uh, Tuesday up to Thursday, we're holding mainly um, satellites for the high roller and satellites for the main event. But then, uh, obviously, on Friday, the ever-popular Nottingham Cup kicks in. Uh, we've got the uh, PLO Double Chance on the Sunday. Uh, we've got the Super Deep Stack DPT Edition, which is obviously always a, a massive event. So our concern or difficulty with uh, uh, Dust to Dawn, for instance, is actual capacity. Um, you know, if it'd be great to hold 15, 20 events, but we simply don't have the space Um given this type of event. As a matter of fact, there are very few venues in the UK or Ireland that can actually accommodate that type of, or those number of events, um, you know, when we have a schedule like this or a guarantee like this, and we're going to get these type of numbers. Yeah, well, I'm certainly looking forward to firing bullets in all of those tournaments. Uh, how is the season shaping up overall? What other stops have you got planned, and, and when are they? Well, we've got Mar- Marbella in June, um, which is uh, obviously... Uh, really popular one, that one. You know, really popular one. You know, like, it was my first one last year, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I had a, a, a nice chance to hang out with you guys afterwards, and uh, it was. Yeah, uh, you came to my birthday you know, party. I did. I did. I did. Um, you know, I, I had the best sixtieth I've been at. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and subsequent to Marbella, we've got like uh, one that I'm really looking forward to is uh, Bristol. Um, you know, Bristol. Um, I, I played Bristol as a player. And it's a beautiful city, and uh, I, I actually can't wait for it. And, I mean, that's already August 6th of August to the 9th of August. And um, then we're going back to the Isle of Man. Um, so we're undecided as to what format we're going to take the Isle of Man. Um, the Isle of Man is obviously about the uh, Pokestars players, uh, which is number one. But we also have to be very mindful of the community because, uh, I mean, that's where our head office is. And we will be mindful of our staff, uh, you know, uh, Pokestars as a company are, are very focused on staff. So we're trying to combine what we do with staff and, and how we do what we do best for the uh, players. So I haven't really decided there, or we haven't decided the format for that one yet. And then we're off to Edinburgh um, in uh, cold November. But again, a beautiful city, a beautiful venue. Following on from my blog last week, some of the international discussion on the Irish Open uh the Kev Math and other guys got involved and there was a rumour flying around on Twitter that there will be a Dublin EPT around that time next year. Uh, can you confirm or deny that? Um, with regards to Dublin and uh, the EPT, um, what, 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 what's happening there? And um, again, um, uh, I think Edgar Stuckley, um, the EPT president, uh, made, said the exact same thing uh, when he was interviewed uh, recently. Is Dublin is very much on the wish list, or it's very much um, in the race for an EPT. Um, like obviously, obviously, you know where I, my, what I would desire. Uh, uh, being an Irishman, I'd love to see the EPT in Dublin, but it's definitely on the shortlist. And what will happen is. At the um, it'll be announced at the EPT Grand Final in, in Monaco. Okay, uh, and, and, and where, where would it likely to be? I mean, you, you had a great UK IPT in Mansion House last year. Would that be the venue, or would you be looking at somewhere else? <laughs> no, that'd be too small. Um, yeah, I mean that was a fabulous event, but 
no, uh, we would need to, to get somewhere bigger. And, we, you know, again, there are three or four venues on the shortlist, but uh, I can't really say until the grand final in Monaco. And hopefully, hopefully, hopefully it will be Dublin, uh, personally. But, I mean, there are a number of venues um, on the shortlist. Thank you so much, Davey. It was really good talking Dave. to you again. Some great, some great info there. You know, you kept obviously a big part of every Irishman's schedule uh, as they look forward through the year. Um, you know, a lot to look forward to. And fingers crossed, Grand Final Monaco might be the big announcement, EPT Dublin. Okay, guys, we'll, I'll see you here next week. Time for some strategy with Darrow Carney. Darrow, the informational bet, uh, a bet, you know, mostly used by the old school, uh, sort of a feeling out bet, a sort of a ask a question bet. Uh, it used to be used fairly effectively by those guys as they tried to work out whether they had the best hand and get their opponent off uh, inferior holdings. The same informational bet got used uh, at last weekend's Irish Open final table by Dunica OD in a hand against Kevin Killeen. Can you talk us through that hand from both perspectives? Yeah, that that, that was a very interesting hand. Kevin opened king-queen suited under the gun and uh, Dunica defended with ace-jack um, off suit in the big blind the flop came jack 9-7 um, so Donica has top pair top kicker and uh, Kevin has two overs a gut shot and I think a backdoor flush drop yeah he has a backdoor as well as one spade on that board yeah so they both it's a, re- it's a pretty good flop for both of their hands now the flop action is where it gets interesting because um, Donica checks to the razor as, as would be pretty standard Kevin fires a continuation bet because you know it's a good flop for him and then Donica raises now Donica appeared to be raising for information there, which, as you said, is kind of an old school idea. When I started playing poker, people used to say things like, you know, bet to where find find out where you're at, raise to find out where you're at, define your hand, and so on. The problem with that uh, is with the new school coming along now, younger, more aggressive online players, they will actually pounce on that. They'll see, if they recognise a bet as an informational bet, uh, they'll pounce on it and raise, which is exactly what Kevin did here. Kevin clicked again, thinking he could get Donica to fold, and Donica did fold. Yeah, when you make an informational bet, you're sort of asking for a response to your question, and not necessarily, you can't really trust that information all the time. You might get the wrong answer. Yeah, you certainly can't trust a poker player at the table, and and a poker player as good as Kevin. Um, Kevin did sniff out the fact that it was an informational bet and therefore he was able to give back the answer which was which suited him rather than Donica and Donica ended up folding the best hand. Yeah, I was sitting in the commentary box, a phrase I've used a lot recently because I like to keep telling people that. Uh, I was in the commentary box with Dan Harrington and Porrick Parkinson at the time and Dan Harrington didn't hate the move because I guess it, it was part of the arsenal of, of players like Dan. Um, on the other side of that, uh, Porrick didn't hate the move but thinks once he makes it he has to call like he's actually reinducing. He's he's trying to get Kevin to make a play like this with exactly the kind of holding he has or possibly just his air balls and he has to sort of like pounce on that now by coming back over the top all in or calling and being willing to station off. Yeah, that raises another interesting point too. I think a lot of the older players always feel that you know the young guys are always at it and they're making moves and therefore uh, you can you can commit with a hand like Ace Jack. But the reality is Kevin is not going to get all the chips in uh, on that flop with a hand that isn't at least flipping, let's say, with, with Ace Jack. And Kevin has a pretty strong hand here. He can hit a king, he can hit a queen, he can hit a ten. So like he's not making a random move with seven deuce here. It, this is a hand that actually has equity. Yeah, in the end the move worked because I guess Dunica felt like you know Kev had over pairs sets in his range when he makes this play he got spooked he put out his informational bet didn't like the answer he got and, and, and tossed it away yeah and, and again that goes back to why uh, we don't we don't do those raises for information anymore you know there's certain ideas which were taken as gospel when we started playing poker like you know 
uh, raising for information, the overriding need to protect your hand, that used to be a huge consideration. Whereas now players are, are much more happy to go check call, check call, check call and, and presumably be good at the river a lot. Well, basically what happened is I said, wow, it's really warm in here. And then he went on like a five minute rant about oh, how no. I should take my top off. He just kept going on about it, talking about my lady bits and everything. Like, it just got really awkward. And See, I, this is why the blogger wasn't elaborating because yeah. they just felt desperately awkward so about the whole weird. thing. It was so weird, but I just let it go because yeah. what are you going to do? It happens all the time. It's just that the same player then kind of threw a wobbly when the dealer told him not to talk about a player in a hand. And he just kind of threw a wobbly and refused to play his hand, refused to look at it. We had to call the floor, call a clock on him, and he was just having kind of like a moment. And, wow. and then at the end of it, he said, I'm sorry, I guess I'm just being a bit of a girl about this. And I lost it for oh, a second. For God's sake. I said, do you realize how calm I was when you were doing this to me? And now you're like, you just can't say that. <sighs> and to be fair to him, he apologized after a while. It took a while. He kind of sat there. And then he said, look, I'm really sorry. English isn't my first language. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's the excuse. Yeah. But, and he apologized. And then he doubled down on it. Told me to take my top off, top off again. And then said, it's just banter. And then apologized again. And I was like, let's just stop talking. Yeah. yeah. Dude, let's all move on. Let's move on. I, I think you're, you're so right to call people on it. I know you do it on Twitter as well. Um, it's just it's a side of the game that maybe people kind of justify as being old school. It just has no place in the world, no, it, yeah. exactly. and therefore it has no place on the poker table. Yeah. And, and you're right to, to call you. people on that. I appreciate that because it does kind of paint a target on my head. Like yeah. I literally am as calm as I can about it, and then people still are like, "Oh my God, she's going nuts." I'm I'm so yeah. not like yeah. I'm they just try and play into like, "Oh, now you're hysterical." I know. And, yeah, it's and not that's that's annoying, and I just kind of want it to go away. But I think you're right. Like, there's no place for it at the table, not just because it's just banter. It's but completely it's unacceptable behavior. Well, it's it's and not it's great for bringing new players into the game. Yeah. that's the problem. Like, yeah. aside from the thing about you know, you should try to be nice to people, which that's kind of my thing. But let's not make it, you know, hard for women to sit down at a table and feel like super awkward because you know, having complete strangers tell you to take your clothes off can be really awkward and I've been in poker a really long time and I'm used to male dominated spaces so for me it's not hurting my feelings but it's making me think wow if I was a woman who was new to the game I may not play again and you're not going to get my money then so I what are you thinking? Yeah but I mean in a in a world where we are actively trying to encourage in a world <laughs> where we're actively trying to encourage new people into the game and particularly yeah. you want to see more female players in the game. Yeah that's the emerging market let's be clear like the emerging market is women because there's so much space for us here. Like How do you then appeal to them when they sit at a table and have to be subjected to that kind of abuse? And I'm sure Bex won't want me telling this story, but there was a media tournament at the Irish Open a few mm. years ago, or a, a big side event tournament at the Irish Open a few years ago, and, um, and she was playing in it. And this one guy kept on abusing mm. her, all because of her gender. And she ends up beating him heads up, <laughs> which was like the, the biggest satisfaction that she got was not so much the fact that she's after winning money yeah. and a trophy. It's the fact that she'd beaten this guy. Yeah. Um, and that feels so good. And that's a sweet feeling. And you can say, well, you can use, you know, you can turn it on them in reverse. You can exploit them because they think you're weaker as a female. And that's sure. all true. It's still not pleasant and it doesn't let women want to come into the game. Yeah. So no. it doesn't matter if we can turn it around and exploit them because they think we're somehow weaker or not able to play or they're maybe getting a little bit aggro with us where they wouldn't with other people. If we can see that and exploit it, that's awesome and we should. But it doesn't excuse the fact that it still drives people away from the game. Dara, you've heard it there. Uh, interesting YouTube clip there of last weekend's Irish Open. Uh, Kara Scott obviously talking uh, a little bit about, you know, 
bad treatment at the table and one particular incident you know that she had to deal with yeah it's obviously disgraceful and I know it's not an isolated incident either I know from talking to other female players that I'm friends with that they have to deal with this kind of rubbish all the time and it, it really is an acceptable behaviour and it's not I don't think the onus is on uh, the females to, to, to take care of this I think guys at the table also have to basically say look this is unacceptable behaviour uh, this isn't something we tolerate in poker um, you know, there's a lot of talk about, as Cara said, h- how to get more uh, women playing the game. Women are kind of the last great untapped market. And this kind of stuff really doesn't help. No, exactly. And I think, you know, as you said, uh, other players getting involved, you have to create a culture of that behaviour just not being acceptable. And then as soon as somebody does it, we sort of police each other and we say, what are you doing? And then it hopefully will die out eventually. I think it's very intimidating for a lot of women to go into such a male dominated um, culture. And then when they have to deal with this uh, in addition, that just makes it even worse. Well, speaking of women in a male dominated culture, our next guest, Rebecca McAdam, uh, the Irish queen of poker, uh, author, uh, presenter, organiser, PR. Um, and player, of course. Rebecca, great to have you with us. Thanks very much. What an introduction, my God. Obviously, you've probably just heard there as well, Cara Scott making the point uh, about the treatment she received at the Irish Open there uh, just a week ago. Darren and I have spoken about it. It's just n- not, the, not the done thing, not the done thing in any walk of life. Uh, have you kind of comparable situations you've had to put up with? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, yes. Um, I guess you're going to get it in every part of life, really, on and off the table. So um, it's just it's just part of life. And fortunately, though, I could probably count on two hands the experiences, the bad experiences I've had um, around men at the table. And I'm sure you guys could count many more than that of just someone being a bit of a bit of an ass generally at the table. So yeah. I think being a woman, it's just another angle for them to get at you, you know. And when you wrote the book, um, uh, Becoming a Poker Queen, did did you write about, you know, how to deal with that? Do you like deflect it or what were your techniques for sort of managing those situations? Well, the book itself was really aimed at beginners. So I didn't want to get too heavy into anything or put anyone off. But my general advice uh, to someone up would be if you're feeling very uncomfortable and someone's doing something wrong to always you know tell the floor staff because you know they're there to protect you they're there to protect the game um but generally if it's something you feel that you can handle yourself my way to handle it is by pretty much not saying anything and letting my game do the talking now you were involved centrally in one in the biggest ever poker festival in ireland the uk ipt uh, galway festival the one million guarantee and i know you worked for years uh, on the media side of the irish open given the dwindling numbers we saw at the irish open this year and, and i know you weren't there so you didn't see it personally but the numbers were like by far the lowest do you think it's possible to revive the irish open back to the scale of a few years ago maybe with a new sponsor uh, you know, it's it's difficult everywhere at the moment in general. Um, numbers aren't, I suppose, what they were. Now, in general, you know, the EPT does great. But, um, yeah, it broke my heart to see the Irish Open numbers kind of crumbling bit by bit. But, um, I don't know, like, in general, you know, my job is about trying to grow the poker category and to create that well, perfect storm, I suppose, we had in 2003 to 2007, 2008, but it's very difficult. You can't just create it. And for the Irish Open, I think it it comes back to not just trying to get bigger numbers for the Irish Open, but trying to get new generations interested in poker in general. 
Um, I think a different sponsor, you've got to think about events as well, right? They're, they're really good for brand awareness and for engaging your players. So it depends on what the brand, what their goals are and what they want to achieve. So if your goal is to create this really exciting, engaging experience for your for the players without prob- probably not making much money, um, but it coming off in different ways in the long run, then you're going to do well and the event's going to do well. But So if someone comes in, some another sponsor perhaps with different goals and a different attitude to the way they want to run it, I don't see why we couldn't get those numbers right back up again. Yeah, it was noticeable to me and what I wrote in my blog was I think they kind of lost the Irish market this year. A lot of the players, there was no buzz this year. A lot of the people who, you know, every year would have been excited and talking about how they were trying to qualify for the Irish Open either online or in their local casino. This year they just didn't seem to care. It was like the sponsors somehow just lost sight of, you know, that particular market. Without giving too much of your trade secrets away, you're obviously on the Isle of Man. Your job is PR out there. Um, You know, are are there certain things you're doing to combat a, a contracting market do, do you feel as though um, like that it's still in your power to you know make changes attack emerging markets I am trying all sorts <laughs> <laughs> um, pretty much I knew that you know I know the media so well the trade media that I knew taking the job to talk to new audiences and new new media was going to be really really tough but I kind of boiled it down to a few things like, you know, there's a lot of different audiences out there. There's gamers, you know, there's lifestyle business people who are interested in strategy. You know, there's different people we can be talking to and kind of my job is pretty much to get them interested in poker and show the crossover appeal uh, in poker in general. And then where they go from there is up to them and it's up to the brands to, to make themselves as interesting as possible for the players or the interested parties to go there. I think for a long time what happened was we started to get too... um, We targeted players and people who were very heavy into poker too much and we spent so much time talking to the people who already loved poker and not enough time trying to find ways to target people who might be interested. So for me, it's, it's really to try and bring in, even from the very source, from for lifestyle media, like, you know, I'll bring... I'll bring media who've never been to an event before, who don't even know poker, to an event. And, you know, I had a couple of ladies there uh, in Malta. One of them, I think she was writing a piece for Vogue. Uh, the two of them had a blog. Cool. And you think, like, what, well, what has that got to do with, you know, poker? No, no, but you're right, and, and it, it sort of brings it all full circle again, in in a, in a sense. Back to our, our point about women in poker, they're the emerging market. You know, they're 51 percent of the world, yet they're probably only what like six or seven percent of poker. And there's no reason poker isn't uh, a strength game. It's a game that is about your wits and your intelligence and your aggression um, and your ability okay. to make good logical decisions. So there's no reason why women wouldn't thrive just as much as men. It's obviously that because it's a male-dominated space, there are barriers and 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 bringing it full circle now, what do you feel? Do you feel like women are the are the untapped market, or, or would you be more keen to get the game bigger in Asia or something like that? I just think it's um, it's a whole new generation that don't know anything about poker as well. Like you know, you're talking about. I know my nephews; they're 18 now, and they don't know anything about poker. When I was 18, I was down in the fifth every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. <laughs> so, like you know, so we're talking to 
we haven't really boiled the story down to these new generations. We we're, we're talking to the same people over and over again, and now those people are just getting older. Sure. Um, um, so for me, it's yeah, of course, it's looking at different markets, and you know, every market is different. You know, um, and what they're interested in, how they handle the media is different. But for me, it's looking at kind of crossover audiences and gamers. And look, we have Twitch, we have poker on Twitch now. And trying to kind of understand what interests them and and what will kind of draw them towards poker more so than anything else. And women do fall into there. They do. But I think it's about showing what poker is. Like even those women are brought over, you know, I showed them the events. Um, they couldn't understand, you know, oh, there's a there's a TV table. Show me this. And what's that noise? Is that the chips? And even just showing them basically how to play and introducing them to a few female players. Yeah. They were like, we can't wait to go back and write stories. And those stories reach people who, you know, we've never reached before. So I think it's boiling it right back and kind of showing poker as the form of entertainment, the social interaction, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think we've stopped focusing on that for a long while. Sure, yeah. And I think it's very interesting you talk about like people coming from online gaming backgrounds and so on. I think like in poker people do tend to come from one of two backgrounds it's either sort of a general gambling perspective which I guess would have been the traditional market that uh, people aimed at and also the online gaming market um, specifically in relation to women uh, in poker and, and you, you've obviously written uh, the, you, you have literally written the book on that and how to be a poker queen but how do you feel about uh, women only tournaments um, do you think that they're useful um, and did you read uh, Liv Burry's recent piece on it I did actually because I'm always interested in what other women have to say about it. Um, I've always been interested in this. I actually wrote my thesis in college about women in poker, and that was when during boom times. And uh, kind of yeah, so I kind of looked at it then, and there was a lot of sites back then that were starting to you know paint themselves pink and this kind of thing. And um, I kind of looked at it in terms of well, is this trying to get more women involved or is it trying to separate men from women and that kind of point of view. But I felt very actually um, split when I was writing the book because I know a lot of people are comfortable playing ladies-only tournaments and they see them as a nice way to maybe step into the poker realm. But I'm, and I played them myself, but I'm not their biggest fan at the same time. I think... If the tool works, grand, have it there for those who use it. But ultimately, women should be playing in open field events. I don't think it helps in the long run. Yeah, it's interesting you say that most of the accomplished female players that I know that's kind of their perspective. They kind of go, yeah, it's, it's it's good that they get women in. But to be honest, I hate those tournaments. And I would much rather play <laughs> in a mixed tournament. Yeah, they're actually awful to play. Like, I have a great time with the women when I'm playing them. But I find them that either they're... There's a load of beginners, which is great, but then you have these absolutely weapons of players too. So it's, <laughs> it swings and misses. It's absolutely awful. Yeah, yeah. These non-open fields are interesting because obviously Daryl Kearney's heading out to the World Series this year to try and uh, you know mop up all that dead money from the seniors game. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Thanks for that, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, but, but no, but Age, I think, I think ageism in poker is a problem too, you know, Dave. <laughs> well, that'll be next week's subject. Um, but listen, Bex, uh, we do it every week, and I d- I'm not sure if you if you tune into the show, but we we gotta get we gotta hit you with some trivia now. I hope that's okay. Seven questions. Oh, no. You're on the spot. Oh, you can, no. I know you're on your computer there, but you can, these will be. I'll be hitting you too quickly. You won't be able to use Google. You ready? 
I don't even have any information anymore. I'm in the corporate world now, remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll have to do your best. Question one. Vanessa Selps is the highest ranked woman on the GPI. Known as JJ, name the second highest ranked lady. It's not Jennifer Harman, is it? No, it's Joanne Liu. They- Oh, J.D. Lou. Ah, shit. Question two. Hailing from Barcelona, who was the last woman standing in the 2009 WSOP main event? She's probably a friend of yours. Uh, It's, uh, it's, it's, um, oh yeah, she is. She is. Um, it's Maria, isn't it? It's not, it's Leo Marguette. Question three. Second in the the all-time money list for women in poker. This Las Vegas-based pro has cashed the World Series 50 times. Now I'm driving myself totally. Killing my buzz, guys. Old school. We're going uh, old school 50. with this one. Uh, it's correct. Um, Kathy Liebert. We're giving it to you. <laughs> Question four. According to the Hendon Mop, who has cashed for more, Liv Barry or Vicky Corrin? Vicky Corrin. It's not, it's Liv Marie, 2.5 million versus really? Vicky's 2.46. That was a very difficult one. Uh, Question five, uh, which famous American crime novelist and screenwriter said, poker is as an elaborate waste of human intelligence as you could find outside an advertising agency? Jesus. <laughs> we didn't say this was an easy quiz. Uh, well, it's not him. It's definitely not him. Oh, no, I wouldn't have signed up for this one. <laughs> <laughs> The answer, um, the answer is Raymond know. Chandler, I'm afraid. Question six. The UK IPT Galway in 2013 was won by which Scottish poker beast? Oh, my God. You ran this I event. I his name. <laughs> I gave him the trophy. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm afraid the answer is Alan Gold. Question seven. Oh At the 2013 Winterfest, you came third. This one's on your life now, Rebecca. We're, we've high hopes for this one. At the 2013 Winterfest, you came third in a rather unusual side event. What was the game? Crazy pineapple. Correct. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for joining us this Did week. I, I, really, I just got two. You That's got two, terrible. but two's about average, though. Don't worry. Don't worry. You, you, you won't be bottom of our leaderboard by the end of the season. Uh, look, Bex, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Look, that, that was really good fun. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Playing us off this week is a supremely talented Irish singer-songwriter and Meteor Music Award winner, a song with lyrics to which all of you out there on a downswing can relate. This is Leanne Hart and Restless Sleepers. When we were restless we carried on Like a sleepless night
I'd like to say a big thank you to Fergal, Barney, Bridie, David, Cara and of course Rebecca. We'll be back next week with all the news and results from the UK IPT Nottingham at dusk till dawn. We'll also finally get round to that interview with Neil Channing. We promise not to bump him this time. From the two Daras and myself, good night and good luck. (laughs) 